song because it had some really great things to say that seemed appropriate for this morning. But I want to start with a riddle. Now, some of you will know the answer. I know you will. So you might just want to stay like quiet for a moment to allow the other people just to think about it, all right? So is that okay with everybody? Okay, I like people to respond, by the way, so yes is good at that point. Right, so the challenging riddle is like this. There's a man lying dead in a telephone box. The phone is off the hook, and there is smashed glass outside the phone box. What happens? Do you want me to go through that again? There's a man lying dead in a telephone box. The phone is off the hook, and there is smashed glass outside the phone box. What happened? It's a really big telephone box. <laughs> Do you remember telephone boxes, you know, in the olden days when you had to... Okay, Andy, you've got your hand up. You have to shout. Yeah, that's... So there's a man, he's been fishing in the river, he's caught a fish, he runs to the phone box, because it was in the days before mobiles, to phone his friend, and uh, his friend said, how big was the fish? And he says, it was this big, puts his hands straight through the glass on the sides, and uh, bleeds to death, that's the uh, less good bit. <laughs> <laughs> It's around hyperbole. I've put that in for Miriam because, uh, because she's an English teacher. I've put it in specially for you. Talking about hyperbole, that's exaggeration to most of us. It's this big. Jesus was an amazing, amazing communicator. He used humor, he used stories. He used parables that are a little bit like riddles, and he even used hyperbole, exaggeration, to get his message across. And the problem is that sometimes, especially if we're not very familiar with the Bible, we look at it and we're like dead serious all of the time, and we miss the point that Jesus is not being serious. He's trying to communicate something to us in the way that we would communicate with each other. So the beginning of this chapter is talking about the Lord's Prayer because Jesus' friends said to him, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And Jesus gave them a pattern for prayer, which we call the Lord's Prayer. But then he goes on to teach them something else about what God is like and about how to relate to God, how to communicate with him. And he tells this really extreme story. It's a really extreme story. We're not supposed to think, oh, yes, that's right. We're supposed to laugh. We're supposed to think that it's extreme. It's excessive. It's an exaggeration. So Jesus says, imagine for a moment that somebody you know turns up at your house in the middle of the night, completely unexpectedly, and, so, and, and knocks on the door and comes in. Imagine what that would be like. Now, we know that in the Middle East... Even today, hospitality is a massive thing. It's a massive thing. So if someone comes to your house, you must feed them. It's not like, oh, um, I could nip out to Morrison's and get a pack of biscuits. It's not that, because that didn't exist then. But you must feed them. So this person turns up, 
And another exaggeration, the guy has nothing in the house to give him. Now, it seems highly unlikely, doesn't it? So he's arrived in the middle of the night, and the guy's got nothing to give him at all. But he knows it's offensive if he doesn't give this man something to eat. So he leaves his house, and he goes to another friend's house. And he knocks on the door in the middle of the night and says, I haven't got anything to give. Can you give me some bread to give me so that I can give it to my friend? And his friend says... No, I don't want to do that. I don't want to get out of bed. We're in a one-room house. We all sleep in the same bed. If I get up, everyone else is going to be woken up. The door's locked. I don't want to get up. But the man keeps on persisting, asking for bread, saying, I need it. And eventually, his friend gets up and gives him the bread. And then the man goes back to his house and is able to feed his guest. But it's an extreme story. And Jesus says, it's not because the friend wants to give him anything. It's because of his boldness, his persistence, that he keeps on asking. Now, Alex and Miriam, you are going to learn a lot about that in the next few years. Because your little quiet Noah is going to start saying, Daddy, 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 Daddy. Daddy, mummy, 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 until they get through. And then after that, they'll go, why, 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 why? And every answer will have another why attached to it. And you will learn an awful lot about giving in to persistence, whether you want to or not. Jesus says that God is much more than any of the stories he tells. He says it's not because God is mean or reluctant or any of those things. It's because God is there and will respond to us when we come to him. The other good thing about God is that he's never sleeping. And so when you want to cry out in the middle of the night, which most people with young children do, I know that's not really your experience, God is not sleeping. He is there. So Jesus encourages us to press in to God, to know him, to have that relationship with him. And he says, ask and it will be given to you. I wonder how many times in my life I've been through all sorts of difficult situations and times which have felt pretty despairing and challenging and I haven't even got to the ask stage I haven't remembered even to ask and it's the simplest thing isn't it that actually at any point in our lives whatever we're facing wherever we find ourselves Jesus says ask ask and it'll be given to you and I don't even do that we need to receive from him. And then Jesus says, seek. Which is a little bit more of a process than just asking, isn't it? Asking is kind of like the lowest level, simple. Seek's the next level. We, we have a lot of times in our household where, where seeking is required and, and not done. So um, various members of the household will come into the kitchen and say, I can't find. How brave am I feeling? My wallet. <laughs> my socks, my school bag, whatever it happens to be, I can't find. 
my keys is a classic one on all our parts. And we have to seek. And it's amazing, especially with the children, because I'm getting less brave now, how often I go into their rooms and their apparent seeking has not involved much seeking, as the thing in question is right in the center of the floor. But seeking is a bit more of a process, isn't it? So sometimes we just ask, and sometimes we have to seek. We actually have to make an effort to find something. And sometimes God is just there, and other times we have to seek him and put a bit more effort in. And then Jesus says, knock. Well, the difference with knocking is often it, it requires waiting. Because you knock and then you wait. And sometimes when we are communicating with God and we're praying, we're talking to him, we're getting to know him, sometimes there's a bit of waiting involved as well. So Jesus takes those three different things. says, if you ask, you'll receive. If you seek, you'll find. If you knock, the door's going to be opened and you can walk in to knowing God. And then Jesus makes that point again, but, but he uses more humor. Ian was a good person to have reading it because he also did that. And Jesus ramps up the stakes. He's no longer talking about a neighbor, but about a son. He's intensifying the relationship there. And he says, if your son asks for something, will you give him? He says, if your son asks for bread... Will you give him a stone on his plate instead? And we're supposed to laugh, because that's ridiculous. He says, if he asks for a fish, will you give him a snake instead? If he asks for an egg, will you give him a scorpion? And the answer is, of course not. Of course you won't do that. We don't even need to think about what Jesus is saying, because what Jesus is saying is glaringly obvious. Of course you wouldn't do that. And this whole story is about the fact that God is so much more. God is so much more than everything that we imagine that he is. Now, Jesus doesn't necessarily always um, abide by the principles of that book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. So Jesus says to them, If you who are evil... Oh, great, thanks. I mean, I don't know that you'd feel massively appreciative if I took that approach with you this morning. If you who are evil. And I think, again, he's, he's exaggerating. He's making a point. They're not evil. Some parents are sometimes. But most of us are just a bit fragile, a bit broken, a little bit imperfect, get a bit tired and sometimes a bit cross but we're not evil. Jesus is exaggerated. If you guys know how to give good gifts to your children, then how much more will God give good gifts? He is our perfect Abba Father. Abba is still the word used by children in the Middle East for daddy, dada, Abba, Papa, whatever our version of that is. He is our Father in heaven who loves us perfectly, who knows us perfectly. How much more will he give good things to us? So, here's the little man in question. How many gifts has your son received? Loads and loads and loads. From you and from probably a lot of the people in this room, 
from everybody who loves him and you and cares about him and you. Clothes and toys and, of course, books. The frog one and then his favorite, Fox and Socks. Had to get that in there for you, Miriam. This is not Miriam's favorite book, but it is Noah's favorite book. <laughs> Dr. Zeus, Fox and Socks. Good gifts given to him by all of us who are less than perfect. But we want to give good gifts. Good gifts express love, don't they? Gifts are a very clear expression of love to another person. Good gifts are concerned for our well-being. I guess it is possible for not good people to give good gifts. Technically, that's possible, isn't it? <coughs> However, there's something about a gift if it's received from someone who you don't like, who doesn't like you, whose life is not good. It's tainted by that, isn't it? But good gifts are given for our well-being. I choose gifts for people, hopefully, <laughs> thinking about what they would like, not what I would like, what would make them happy, not would, what would make me happy, what would fulfill a need in their lives, not mine. Good gifts are concerned for our well-being, and good gifts come from a good God. So what do we think that the good gifts from God might look like? Here's a few things. I expect most of us would be pretty happy with our Christmas stocking if it came full of these things. Because much as we might want a new top from Fat Face or a certain kind of perfume or a special kind of car, actually the things that we really want in life are some of these things. And these are the kind of good gifts that God gives to us, he offers to us. Love, because he is love. Peace, because he is peace. Because he can give us a peace that is much deeper than just a sense of lack of conflict or strife. Forgiveness, because all of us mess up, don't we? And all of us want to know that that's gone, it's dealt with, it's forgiven. But not only that we're forgiven, but that we're also free from guilt and shame. We don't have to go, oh, well, I'm forgiven, but I'm still going to carry it around with me like a heavy rucksack for the rest of my life. Actually, we can be forgiven and let go of all the guilt and shame that comes with those things. He gives us hope. And when I look at the news at the moment, I need to know that my hope is not in political leaders or in the UN or in armies or even in my own capacity, because I feel so helpless, that my hope is in God, that he has everything under control ultimately. He gives us life. He gave life to Noah. He's given life to each of us at the beginning. He sustains our life. He offers us life with him forever. Belonging, a sense of belonging to his family, to something bigger than ourselves, of purpose, that we're involved in a story that's not just my life till I die end. That there is something bigger than that, more meaningful, more intentional. He gives us value, and don't we all need that? Just to know that we are worth it. We are worth something. And he offers us his Holy Spirit, which means that following Jesus is not just a 
a new kind of plan or program for our lives. It's not just a religion. It isn't a religion. It's not just a making an extra effort to turn over a new leaf and be an extra specially nice person. I failed if it's the case. <laughs> he gives us his Holy Spirit, which makes us come alive spiritually on the inside and empowers us to live differently and be part of a different way of life. He gives us all those things. A few months back, maybe like eight or so, I entered uh, a ballot, along with uh, thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of other people. And uh, I did it, and uh, I forgot about it, really. And the ballot was for something that I thought was unlikely to ever occur. So in the end, I decided to make it occur by a different route. So I signed up to uh, run the Chester Marathon because I was determined that this year I was going to achieve that. Uh, I hadn't really thought about it much before this year. Hopefully, I'll never think about it again after this year. But this year, I was going to achieve that. So I signed up for it uh, with Mike, and, uh, and we ran it. And then roughly a week later, when my muscles were not hurting as much as they had initially been, but were still sort of in that recovery, I received uh, a magazine through the post. Now, I've had a fairly difficult day, got home. Um, I'm the kind of person who can read teacher's notes upside down on the other side of the desk and remember them all, or might think I can read round corners. So when I picked up two magazines and didn't actually see anything that was written on them, that was quite surprising. So I noticed that one was addressed to Mike, so I put that on the side, and one was addressed to me. Mine had red, sort of, what's that stuff called, plasticky stuff over it. And so I opened it, and uh, after a couple of minutes, I saw that. <laughs> and uh, and it, it took me a while to see the words, and then it took me longer to process the words, because they're quite long words, aren't they? Provisional and acceptance. I mean, if it just said yes, it probably could have coped. And then I didn't know whether to laugh or cry. So I've got to do another one. <laughs> which is just a bit rubbish, really. The thing is, it says these words, provisional acceptance. And uh, I, had a, I had a place. So everybody that gets this has a place. But you only have the place for real if you log in and pay your money, which is where the analogy falls down. You have to do something, and you have to do it by a date. It's not a forever offer. You have to do it by a date. And I truthfully feel a bit unsure about it. I, uh, I, I don't know if it's better that last time I didn't know what it was like, or that this time I, I do know what it's like. I'm not quite sure about that. Nobody else I know got a place, so I have to go on my own. But I'm trusting that everyone else who's done it, despite the pain, has said, you must do this. You must do this. And God offers us a place 
in his story, which is pretty much like a marathon truth because it goes on for a really long time. But you have to accept. Everyone has a place. There aren't, Mike's magazine said, and Simon Willits and various other people, yours, um, said, sorry, you were not successful. God never says, sorry, you're not successful. That's never his message. You must never hear that, sorry, you're not successful, because God never says that. But he does say, you have got a place, but you need to accept it. And maybe you will be accepting it a bit like me, which is feeling a little bit unsure, not having a clue quite what you've let yourself in for, or even knowing whether you want to, really. And maybe it will just be you and not everyone else will accept. But everybody I know who's accepted says, you should do this. It's really worth it. You should really accept this. It's the best thing that you could do. And this morning, whether that's knowing Jesus for the first ever time, realizing that he'd like you to be part of this thing we call church, this journey of life together with other people who follow Jesus, whether it's that or it's walking into something that he's offering to you and you've just gone, oh, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. He's saying, you've got a place And like all good gifts, you have to receive it. And that's not an exaggeration.